0: Go ahead and open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 26. Um, before we read our text for today, I, I want to I make this clear, and I think everybody knows this, that nobody looks forward to suffering. Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, oh boy, I wonder where I'm going to hurt today or I wonder who's going to be coming after me today. Gee, I'm just so looking forward to it. In general, I would say that 99.99% of people are really dreading suffering in some capacity. it's not realistic to think that people wake up looking forward to suffer. It, it's just, it's, it's not. Some of it's because we have a weak theology of suffering. Some of it's because we, we don't want to swallow the fact that suffering occurs. Um, other times, it's just because realistically, we don't like pain. The, the, uh, the, we really need God's promises pressed into us to even have a vague notion that suffering is for our good. And when I say pressed into, I don't mean like we're we're a cork board and you just gotta, you know, like fill in the holes or a puzzle, you need just, just need to connect the pieces. I mean, like we need nails of God's promises pressed into the steel of our souls. The unsaved person goes through suffering uh, and they they will they will find whatever means possible to numb it, whether it's an escape into drugs and alcohol to literally numb it, or plastic surgery to feel better about themselves, or even Netflixing their way into literally next week. The unsaved person will try their very hardest to not experience suffering. The Christian, however, sees suffering as important. Why? Because suffering ultimately brings us closer to Christ, as long as we're clinging to him and his word during the suffering. Today, however, our topic is not just suffering in general, but suffering in particular. It's suffering at the hands of persecutors, um, and, and we... We may, be, we may be tempted to think things like, oh, Christians should avoid those that are persecuting us. We should run away and hide from those trying to wound and kill us. But that's not exactly what Jesus says. And we may also be tempted to think, well, we need to seek justice, which in one sense we do. But when justice becomes vengeance, we need to, we need to give to those people what they gave, what they gave our, our Fellow brothers and sisters or what they're giving us. That's also not what Jesus says. So what gets people through persecution? Remember last week we discussed the inevitability of suffering for the apostles, specifically for the apostles in the verses that preceded what we're going through. They were going to suffer things uh, brought to them through wicked hands, people that were going to try and kill them Literally. This week, however, we're going to be looking at some admonition or counsel that Jesus gives them, gives the apostles, uh, about why they shouldn't be afraid of this persecution they're going to endure, um, hence the title of the sermon. And the sermon summary on the inside of your bulletin is going to read this, disciples of Christ are not to be afraid of their persecutors. That's what we're going to cover today. So let's, let's go ahead and read our text. So Matthew chapter 10. Verses 26 to 33. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell." Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Jesus gave us four reasons for his his apostles to not be afraid of their persecutors. By the way, if I say prosecution, I apologize. I've been saying that. Every time I read these verses, I'm like, don't be afraid of your prosecutors. And I'm like, no, no, persecutors. This isn't a court of law. Uh, so Christ gives four reasons for his apostles not to be afraid specifically. And all four have implications for us even today, even in our context, where our suffering is minor in comparison to what the apostles faced and what people in other countries face. So, we have to read these in the context of especially in the midst of persecution. Physical, deadly, serious persecution. But, reason number one that Jesus gives for them not to be afraid is that the persecutors will be judged for their wickedness. Notice what Christ says in the first verse. He says clearly and plainly, So have no fear of them. Who's the them? That's always a fun question to ask, when you, especially when you read a Bible verse, like, wait a second, what is, what is the subject here? What, what, what is Jesus or Paul or Peter or, or Ezekiel, etc., talking about? So who is the them? Well, if we go back in our Bibles to, to verse 17 of Matthew 10, we read Jesus saying this, beware of men, okay, who are the men? For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. So, the men, the, these men who drag into courts and synagogues the Christians, the, the, the apostles, are none other than the Pharisees and other Jews of the day. Those same men become the them in verse 26. So Jesus is very clearly and and very, very specifically talking about religious persecution from those who claim to worship Yahweh, who claim to worship the God of the Bible, and yet they are persecuting physically the apostles. Christ also goes on to say, for, in verse 26... Uh, I'm sorry, now I'm, now I'm all uh, messed up. In, in verse 26, but after that. So have no fear of them for. Now, for most of the time is a ground or, or, or a, um, uh, some sort of an anchor that anchors the statement to the promise. So when he goes on to say for, he means this is the reason. This is that ground for their lack of fear of persecution at the hands of these Jews. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. And what Jesus means in this sentence is that there there are no evil deeds that will not be judged by God. He sees all sins. Yours, mine, everyone, through all of time, God sees them. There will not be a single evil deed that the Lord will not see and will not judge. The evil acts of men uh, will either judge a sinner as wicked and have them cast into hell, we'll get to that, or they will be judged by the merits of Christ, leading to forgiveness and being brought into the presence of God. There's no in-between. There's, there's, there's no um, purging area. I'm not going to use a particular word. (laughs) There's no no purging area in which somebody goes into and they can be released of their sins after death. There is none of that. There is no in-between. And and what we see in this text is Jesus' assurance, his good promise that sin will be judged. Do not be afraid of your persecutors, Jesus is saying, because my father sees all sins. Nothing will be covered up or hidden from his sight. It will all be known. Now, this truth is plain to any Jew who's read the Old Testament. All throughout the Old Testament, you read of God seeing the hidden wickedness of people and getting recompense, getting getting justice. For instance, Psalm 69.5, which we read, at the beginning of the service, O oh God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Or Numbers thirty-two twenty-three. but if you will not do so, meaning, uh, meaning what God has said, if you will not do what I have said, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Or Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And many, many more. I just wanted to throw a couple out there. All throughout the Bible are statements that that man cannot hide sin from God. These are statements that the apostles would have grown up hearing The truth that that no sin can be hidden and that all sins will be judged. And verse 27 reaffirms this. Now, verse 27 is kind of a hard one to understand, just just in context. If you were to read, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Okay, all right, so uh, God's going to be whispering and telling, and therefore I proclaim. I'm going to be a prophet. But that's not exactly what Jesus meant, although it kind of is, but also not. There you go. Clear. There we go. Moving on. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> if you were to turn to Luke chapter 12, is, there's another instance of Jesus saying these exact same things. So Luke 12, verses 1 to 3, this is what Luke uh, records. Uh, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together uh, that they were trampling one another he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Now that sentence is a little bit different, but it's the same thought process. What we see in these verses is, an, is, again, another instance of Jesus using this particular phrase. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I got to be told something a couple times before I actually get it, and, and Jesus seems to have applied the same principle to his apostles, almost like they weren't perfect or something. But he's using it in the reference of the Pharisees, avoiding their practices and beliefs because they're steeped in hypocrisy. And what, what he's essentially saying is that, that as you see the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, call them out. Even when you're being persecuted, in our context, even when you're being persecuted, when you see that hypocrisy, call it out. And when, when they don't listen to you, proclaim it from the housetops. Let everybody know this guy is a hypocrite, this guy is a faker. Jesus is essentially saying this in our text, in Matthew 10. He's saying, since no sin can be hidden from God, as you discover plots and hypocrisies of the Pharisees, announce them, pronounce them, proclaim them. And that was actually literally played out. I'm not going to make you turn there. But if you were to go to Acts 23, it's literally played out by Paul's nephew. He hears of a plot that, uh, that Paul is going to be assassinated by these Pharisees that have vowed to not eat or drink until Paul died. So I have no clue if they survived or if they broke their oath. That's my assumption. Um, but they had a conspiracy of how to kill Paul. And Paul's nephew hears of it, and he goes and proclaims it to Paul. And then he goes and tells the Roman guards, and uh, Paul's life ends up being spared. It was literally fulfilled. I love that. I love when I see something like this, and I'm like, hey, I remember that happening. Therefore, what we see here is an encouragement to not be afraid of persecutors. Why? Because their wickedness will be found by God and they will not be able to cover up their sins. Their persecution will eventually be stopped, and Christians are to boldly stand up to persecutors. Those who are against Christ and seek to harm his people will be judged. They will be. They will be. Assurance from God. They will be judged. Found guilty. Condemned. They will suffer for, their, uh, for their, their evils against God's people the rest of eternity. So don't be afraid of persecutors, again, because their sin will find them out by him who judges sin perfectly. Which leads us to our second reason that Jesus gives. And the second reason to not be afraid of persecutors is this. Fearing God more than man makes us bold for truth. And Jesus makes this as clear as he possibly can with a wonderful illustration when he says uh, <clears throat> in verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Who would that be? That would be the persecutors. They can only kill your body. They can't kill your soul. So who should I be afraid of instead? Fear God, who can kill both the body and the soul in hell. Now, when Jesus uses the word kill in reference to these, the, 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 these actions, right? Especially the destruction. Um, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. There are some people who read this and they think, oh, God annihilates. like They, they just cease to exist. He wipes their existence out. But that's actually not what we're talking about. Um, when we read, when we read, "kill on earth," okay, that makes sense. We don't need to explain that. People can kill you, but instead, you should be afraid of God, who eternally destroys, unendingly, unceasingly, without end to the anguish. He eternally destroys those who have persecuted his people. So. <clears throat> Those that argue against an eternal conscious destruction and hell, they're wrong. I mean, that's that's throughout all of script all of the New Testament. Jesus talks about hell more than heaven, if you really, if you really think about it. And that usually their reason is: oh, a loving God wouldn't hurt people forever. No, sinners condemned without Christ will suffer forever. Forever. While those of us who know him are eternally helped and saved. Uh, and, and, and brought into his presence in a loving and gracious manner, those who don't know the Lord will suffer eternity, eternal destruction in hell consciously. They will be under the wrath of God forever. It's not pleasant. So therefore, fear God. That's what Jesus is saying. It, don't fear man because man can only do so much. Fear God who can do eternally more. Man can only go so far in in his torment. But God righteously torments eternally both body and soul in hell. Therefore, a healthy fear of God will result in a healthy, bold Christian life against persecutors. And remember that these were real men, right? The disciples were real men, that, and, and their persecutors were real people. This is, not, this is not just a cloudy, wispy, well, maybe I'm going to be persecuted. This was Jesus saying, hey, this is going to happen. You are going to go through this. They were facing men who really wanted to kill them and really actually succeeded in killing them. And not every discomfort with Christianity is a form of persecution. Just because an atheist says, no, 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 stop, I don't want to hear this thing you call the gospel anymore, that's not persecution. It would be persecution if they went to the authorities and somehow convinced the authorities to silence you, especially if those authorities decided they were going to do something like cut your tongue out. That would be real persecution, real legitimate persecution. And if that were to happen then we would have to fear God more than we fear man. But remember the command of Jesus just last week, just a few verses ago in 10:16 when he says, "Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves." So in the midst of persecution, exercise intelligence. Be smart and remain innocent. We don't need to go get a sign that says the most offensive possible thing and beat someone over the head with it just because we don't like uh, the, the persecution we're facing. Fear God more than man, but be wise and shrewd about how best to proclaim the truth. And the next statement of Christ is one of the most wonderful promises in surviving persecution that you could possibly have. And it kind of takes some unpacking because it's like, well, duh. Um, but, but it's about God's absolute sovereignty over death, but also his care and compassion on his people. So Matthew 10, 29 and 30 are not two sparrows sold for a penny. Now pause. Some Bible translations say Asurian. And an Assyrian was one sixteenth of a denarius and you all know what that means so we can just move on a denarius was what you got paid for a day's wage so an Assyrian was one sixteenth of a day's wage but Jesus also says are not two sparrows sold for a sold for an Assyrian and if uh, an Assyrian sorry it's assyrian although some translations say assyrian but that's just a long-standing typo. But, <clears throat> but uh, are not two sparrows sold for an assarian, Which means that one sparrow was worth one-thirty-second of a day's wage. That's why we translate it as penny. Not because it's mathematically accurate. Because meanwhile, you're like, well, that's even less but <laughs> of a day's wage, hopefully. Um, but, <clears throat> but the point is that sparrows are essentially worthless. And you might also wonder why sparrows, what an odd thing, like people, there's a sparrow dealer, it's like the black market sparrow dealer you're going to, uh, to get your fix. But a sparrow was actually used for burnt offerings to the Lord. Now that was Levitically wrong, that was biblically wrong, it was supposed to be a dove or a pigeon, but what had happened by the time of Jesus is they were, they were taking <coughs> sparrows because they were easier to catch. They move quicker and they get into, they get into nets pretty easy. Uh, they were catching them and they were selling them at the temple for burnt offerings. And so when Jesus says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? He's actually talking about, aren't these things that are meant to be destroyed? Aren't they basically worthless? Yeah, yeah, right? They're basically worthless. They're reserved for the poorest of the poor. Because if you were richer, you were supposed to buy something that you could actually like, afford. Like the rich people, they sacrifice bulls as burnt offerings. But Jesus is saying these worthless, meant to, be, meant to be lit on fire birds in honor of the Lord, aren't they meant to be sacrifices? Aren't they worthless? He's comparing people the sparrows. And that seems odd just at the outset, just beginning this. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? I don't care. I don't care what they're sold for. But what Jesus is comparing these, these persecuted apostles to is things meant for sacrifice that were very, very cheap. The Apostle Paul actually uh, jumps on this metaphor when he refers to living sacrifices in Romans 12.1. He says, I appeal to you. I, I, I plead for you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The concept of a sacrifice, in Paul's sense, was you actually living and therefore forsaking sin. But the concept that Jesus is pulling from is, is literally things meant for death. Isn't that what martyrs are? Martyrs are people meant for death. They were martyrs or witnesses meant to go into places where they would die because of their witness to Christ. And we discussed that last week. So here Jesus is pulling on, on, on that sort of an image, a temple image of things meant for sacrifice, and here people are. And so here we have in our text, again, a statement about these almost worthless birds who, who are sold for basically nothing, who are then sacrificed to God, and yet he says, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Not even a sparrow dies apart from God's direct influence. God is so sovereign over the death of even cheap, worthless sparrows. He's sovereign over even their deaths. And so, Jesus draws the conclusion, he is sovereign over your death. Even the hairs on your head are numbered. Numbered. You ever tried to count the hairs on your head? My grandpa was going bald near the end of his life. You probably could have counted the hairs on his head. But God knows them perfectly. He knows everything, and he wills everything. Even the death of sparrows. Of how much more value are you, Jesus is saying, than many sparrows, than lots. Jesus care, or God cares about you. God the Father cares more about you than he cares about many, 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 many sparrows. And that is Jesus's point. When he draws on these worthless sparrows, he says, you are of more value than they, that you are more beloved than they are. You are more cared for. You are, God cares more about you than anything else in his creation. That should carry Christians through persecution. And in fact, it does. If you or I were facing immense, intense persecution, afraid to leave our homes, let's say we, got, let's say we made our house a safe got metal doors, we, we, we reinforced all the walls with steel girders, and we were afraid to go outside because tanks were rolling down and they were crushing Christian skulls for fun. If Christians were being butchered outside in the streets, do you know what Jesus has to say to that person? He says, don't be afraid because God my father cares about you more than anything. You are more valuable to him, more beloved to him than anything else. Don't be afraid, he says. Don't be afraid to go out into the streets. Don't make your home a safe. But go out even in the midst of that intense persecution. If there's any single comfort for us to remember in the midst of persecution and suffering, if I may be so bold, it's to say that you are valuable to God, that God gives a rip, that God cares for you, that he knows you. He knows even the hair on your head. He has not forgotten you. That is a sweet promise, friends, in the midst of a Christian's most painful portions of their lives, whether martyrdom or whether 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 cancer, whether heart failure. You might be tempted to think that God has a vendetta against you or that that you failed him and he's punishing you. You might be tempted to think that and you will find none of that in the Bible. Not on a single page will you find that God has forgotten you and and left you over to your suffering. Instead, he says, not even a sparrow falls apart from my father. Those are lies, absolute lies. Repent. You are of more value than many sparrows. And again, especially in the confines, in the midst of persecution, remember this fact. If you or I are ever so blessed, and I mean that literally, so blessed to suffer persecution on account of Christ, find comfort in the fact that God has not hidden you from his sight. Do not forget the love of God, friends. It's far more likely, honestly, to forget God in the midst of suffering, than for God to forget you, and therefore you went into suffering. And that brings us to our final reason that Jesus gives, which is that remaining faithful to Christ results in acceptance of Christ. Acceptance by Christ, I apologize. Remaining faithful to Christ results in acceptance by Christ. The the final verses are meant to be a comfort But it should also terrify all of us in this room and outside this room. So for clarity's sake, let's read Matthew 10, 32 to 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. While suffering, while going through intense persecution, I would imagine it would be easy to huddle in a corner, to curl my arms around my legs and cry out into the darkness, God, why have you forgotten me? Have you forgotten me? Where are you? No, Jesus says, I have not forgotten you you are of more value than many sparrows, uh, you are precious to me, therefore I should be precious to you. So precious, in fact, that you should acknowledge me before those who are about to lop off your head. Have you ever been in a situation where it's been convenient to not be a Christian? Uh, where Where it would be easier to be recognized for something other than being a christian maybe maybe you've you 've wanted to be recognized as an honorable man per, uh, uh, parading your own righteousness and therefore you should be trusted or or maybe you 've been uh, wanted to be recognized as an employee who won 't who will just keep your mouth shut or maybe may, maybe uh, you 've been in a situation where it would be better to be recognized by Uh, someone is, again, something other than a Christian, where your Christian faith has wanted to jump to the back. Maybe you have a family member that likes to laugh at you for being a Christian, and so therefore you say, hey, I'm your, your, your sister or your brother or your cousin or your aunt. You should trust me. But, in, but, but really, you should be recognized for your faithfulness to Christ. You should have acknowledged instead your faith before those people instead of anything else. A situation where, frankly, you wish on your name tag it said anything other than Christian. Where you can appeal to a different witness in your life before another person. The reality is that you've all been in that situation. Every one of us, whether we remember it or not, has been in a situation where we denied Christ instead of acknowledging him before men. That's why this verse should terrify us. Not because we're, we're thinking that our salvation is at stake, but because we realize, Lord, we have failed you. Much like Peter, when Jesus was facing, uh, facing crucifixion, Peter says, I have no idea who that Galilean is. We have all done that. You have failed to acknowledge Christ before men. Therefore, you should not be acknowledged before his Father, right? Right? But there is mercy, friends. There is mercy in repentance. There is mercy for you to acknowledge him again. There is mercy for you to remember Christ before all things. So much that you'd be willing to be standing in front of a gun saying, Yes, Jesus is my Lord and he is my Savior. whether it's a coworker who feels judged by you or reports you to HR or a cousin who complains to your aunt saying, saying, you know, ah, he's so judgmental or she's so judgmental or thereabouts. You've failed God. Therefore, you better acknowledge Jesus from here on out. You better declare the hope of the gospel. Stand firm in the conviction that these promises are real, that what God says is true. True. That he will get justice on persecutors. That he is worthy to be feared. And that you are valuable to him and he sees your suffering. You better do that. Why? Because your testimony, Christ's testimony to his father is not dependent on whether or not you are perfect in this but you better see Jesus as so worthy that you will acknowledge him before men. Carry these convictions with you. Carry them. We operate on convictions, don't we? If, if If I am convicted in my heart that it is better not to drink, then I better not drink. So carry with you those four convictions that the persecutors or that all the wicked will be judged, that God is worthy to be feared, that you are valued by God, and that your testimony of whether or not Jesus is your Lord to other people is actually important. Carry those convictions with you. If you do, then you'll find yourself acknowledging him before men, even when it's foolish to do so. Let's pray. Lord, we need the strength. We need the strength to do this. We need need your promises pressed into us, breaking through our stone hearts and revealing hearts of flesh that need these promises deeply and sincerely. Make them so real to us that we cannot even imagine denying you before men. You are so worthy to be feared, Lord. And that fear is a good thing. Not fear of our loss of salvation, but fear of the fact that you are worthy of our reverence. Work that into us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Resting in the promises of the Lord will cause you to strangely acknowledge him when you maybe think you shouldn't. Go in peace, saints.